we'll, <laughs> we'll have that track. That was pretty good, huh? Uh, no, no. Uh, I need that track when I'm opening gifts. You know what I'm saying? Just fill the fill the space. Before we get into our, our sermon today, Pastor Matt made a brief mention of it, but in the shell room after the service, you can go to the shell room through that door or our regular back uh, exit there. We have this Christmas uh, missions market, and this is a great opportunity for you to check off things on your Christmas list, get some things for some folks while serving marginalized women and children in our neighborhood uh, and around the globe. And so uh, we, there was a wonderful response after the first service. There's some coffee and tea downstairs as well. So don't run out of here. Check out what's going on in the shell room. Uh, there's some wonderful things on sale there. And if you're not able to buy anything but still want to participate, uh, we'll have a table where you can sign up to pray for particular families or send cards to families that we are connected with. So uh, just stop by before you head out of this building. We are in the season of Advent. For those of you who are new to the Advent season, Advent simply means arrival. And it's the arrival of Jesus Christ in the world. And as we wait for Advent to come, we are to be trained in waiting, trained in longing, aiming our hopes before the Lord. And in the process of our waiting, what we find in the scriptures is that God has a way of showing up in some surprising ways. And that's what we are focusing on throughout our series, Stories of God's Surprising Presence. And today we're going to look at a story uh, in the Gospel of Luke, focusing on two people in particular, uh, Elizabeth and Zechariah. And what I want to do is I'm, I want to read to you in some movies, uh, they begin with the last scene of the movie, and then it cuts back to give you context for the rest of it. And then it just circles right back to the last scene again so that you get a fuller uh, feel for actually what uh, the context and what brought this last scene about. I want to do the same thing with this story in the Gospels in that I want to read to you the end of Zechariah's story. That is a particular song that he sings. Then I want to talk about the particular situation that, that produced that song that he sang. And then we're going to come back at the end to the song one more time. So uh, Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse number 67. You can follow along in your Bible. You can follow along on the screen. But this is Zechariah's song after God responds to his prayer. Verse 67, hear the word of the Lord. It says, his father, that is John the Baptist's father, his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets, of long ago salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant the oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all our days and you my child will be called a prophet of the most high for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God 
by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. Verse 80, and the child grew and became strong in spirit and he lived in the wilderness until he appeared publicly to Israel. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you for your presence in this place. Thank you for Holy Scripture, and now I pray that the Holy Spirit would make Scripture come alive in us. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see and a heart to receive all you have for us this day. We pray these things in Christ's name, and everyone said, Amen. Amen. How do you feel about waiting? Do you just love? A long wait. Uh, I don't know about you, but I cannot stand waiting. I don't wake up in the morning and go, you know what I need today? A good long wait. I don't go to the bank or the post office and say, I pray that it's a long line because I just love to wait on long lines. And I think if you're anything like me, you don't like to wait. But just to prove it, what I like to do is offer a kind of waiting survey. I want to give you a few scenarios and some options before you so that we can all see where we are at as it pertains to waiting. And so the first scenario is this. You find yourself in traffic on Queens Boulevard. How often do you use your horn? Do you, A, rarely if ever, I'm glad to practice silence and stillness, are you B, uh, as needed, at least once a day? Or C, it's the most used part of my car? Yeah, I, I think I know where this is going here. It's probably C for us. Okay, the second scenario is this here. While waiting in a 10 items or fewer express checkout lane at the supermarket, do you A, meditate quietly or visualize world peace? Do you B, uh, count to see if anyone has more than 10 items in their cart? Come on, somebody. Have you done that before? You look and you go, that's 13, buddy. That's 13. You're violating what's going on right now. And just look at them in the back of their head, just shaking your head, hoping your eyes can just see it. Or, or do you C, threaten anyone who looks as if they're going to use coupons? Come on now. Okay, okay, I see where probably B or, or, or C. Third scenario is this here. Uh, you're sitting in the waiting room of your doctor's office for an hour. How do you respond? A, you're grateful for the chance to catch up on the 2009 edition of National Geographic. Which, by the way, how come it's always like 13 years old? I've never seen that before. It's just like, where's 2021? They only have 2009. Or do you be, uh, you tell other patients you have a very highly contagious and fatal disease in an attempt to empty the waiting room. Or C, do you force yourself to hyperventilate to get immediate attention? I, I think I know where, where all of this is going. The fact is, for many of us, if not for all of us, waiting is a very hard thing to do. There's no getting around it. And what makes waiting so difficult is you cannot circumvent it. You cannot adjust it. Waiting reminds us that we are not in control as much as we think we are in control. And yet, waiting in the spiritual life is foundational for transformation. 
It was Simone Weil, the great uh, mystic, who said these words that waiting patiently is the foundation of the spiritual life. Waiting patiently is the foundation of the spiritual life. There's so much transformation that God wants to do in us as we wait. As a matter of fact, what God does in us as we wait is often more important than what we are waiting for. And that's what we find over and over in the scriptures. Over and over in the scriptures, we find people who are waiting. And the question that I want you to consider on this day is, what are you waiting for? What are you longing for? What are you hoping for? Maybe it's related to a relationship. You're hoping that a relationship will finally come, and you are waiting, and you're hoping, and you are yearning. Maybe you're hoping for a new promotion or a new vocation change. Maybe you are looking for financial uh, uh, provision and you have been waiting and waiting and waiting. Whatever you're waiting for, and at some part in our lives, we're all waiting for something. Whatever it is, I want you to hold it before God as we hear about this story. Because this story is about waiting and the surprising presence of God in our waiting. In our text, we, uh, we encounter a man and a woman who have been waiting for a long time for something to happen, waiting to have a child. At the end, what I read, we find Zechariah, he is singing to the Lord. And we'll get some context, but I just want to focus for a moment on his song. He sings before the Lord. And when we see his song, we see how similar it is to the song we're going to look at next week of Mary's song. Mary's song and Zechariah's song are very similar in themes, very similar in words, very similar in rhythm. But these two songs come from two different places. When Mary is visited by the angel Gabriel, she has her entire future ahead of her. She's probably 16, maybe 17 max, and she has her entire future ahead of her when the angel says, God has a plan for your life. Zechariah does not have the future in front of him. His vast, the vast majority of his life is in his past, not in his future, and yet God comes to him Anyway, and that's what I love to point out for a moment, that God comes to people at all stages of life. Sometimes God visits the teenager and changes the trajectory of that teenager's life. And sometimes God visits the senior citizen and says, I'm not done with you yet. I still have promises that I need to make good in your life. I still want to use you in some profound and powerful ways. Aren't you glad that God doesn't have an expiration date on when he comes to us? And so whether it's Mary, whether it's Zechariah, what we learn in this story is that God has a way of visiting us when we least expect it. Which is why Advent is to be a time where we are paying attention to the coming of God. It reminds us not just that God has come in the person of Jesus Christ and that God will come again in the person of Jesus Christ to make all things new, but in between, of, in be, between his first coming and his final coming, he comes today. He's visiting us, visiting you in your home, visiting you in your neighborhood, visiting you on your job, visiting you when no one else is visiting you. Maybe you're watching this from a hospital room or watching this from an empty home and you're feeling lonely today. God surprises us with his presence. And we are called to be attentive to the coming presence of God. In this text, in this story, God sends 
an angel to visit this old man, Zechariah, who has been waiting a long time. And over and over throughout the pages of Scripture, we find people waiting and waiting and waiting. This story of Zechariah and Elizabeth is actually the New Testament version of the Old Testament story of Abraham and Sarah, waiting on the promise of God, waiting for God to make good on what God has said. And what we find in this story is actually quite surprising to the people who Luke was writing to, and I want to help you understand why this would be surprising. When Luke begins to describe this couple earlier before Zechariah's song, he lets them know that when it comes to righteousness, when it comes to obedience, when it comes to devotion before God, no one can match Zechariah and Elizabeth. They're all that and a bag of chips. You cannot mess with Zechariah and Elizabeth. And Luke lets us know how awesome they are by highlighting their credentials, highlighting their family lineage, highlighting all that they have done. In verse 5 in chapter 1, it says these words, In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. He's letting them know when it comes to connections, Elizabeth and Zechariah, they got it going on. When it comes to obedience, you can't match them. They are from a priestly division. They're from the descendant of Aaron. They're righteous. They observe all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. And so he captures their lineage, captures their connections, captures their devotion. And first century Jewish people who were reading this would probably think that after mentioning how righteous Zechariah and Elizabeth were, that they would have a big, big family. A family that probably looks something like like, like this here on the screen. Go to that picture that like that there, that like that, like that family. They probably think that's Zechariah. This is my family, actually. This is my family. They probably think this is a fa- my, our, my, my brothers and sisters, well, my parents went crazy here. Uh, no, uh, these are cousins, grandparents, all the rest there for our family reunion. You would, you would probably think that's what Zechariah's family looks like. But what we find is a shock in the scriptures. Because after Luke says, This is all the things that they've done, and and this is who they were connected to. Verse 7, we see the surprise. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Whoever read that in the Bible, after hearing how righteous they were, who they came from, their lineage, to hear, wait a minute, they don't have any, they would have been stunned. Because having lots of children in that culture was a sign of God's blessing. Which meant that if you did not have any children in that culture, that was a sign of God's disapproval of your life or even God's punishment. And many people even believe that kind of stuff today. And so you could imagine that Zechariah and Elizabeth feel great shame, disgrace, because of their barrenness. And what makes this even more hurtful is their names. Because their names does not match up to their experience. Zechariah's name means whom the Lord remembers. What happens when your name means something, but your experience seems to contradict your name? Elizabeth's name means God 
has been abundant. My God is abundance. And here she is, barren. What happens when your name means one thing, but your story and your life is telling something else? This is what happens with Zechariah and Elizabeth. And so you can imagine the awkward conversations they're having at the supermarket. The challenging situations they're having at the local park. The things that they would be ashamed to go to because they would remind them of their struggle. Remind them of their disgrace. Remind them of their shame. And so as the story goes, this couple who has been waiting for a long time, there came a day in the time of the Jewish calendar, the religious calendar, where a bunch of priests would gather together to do temple duties. You could imagine there are hundreds of priests with their families there, and they would typically cast lots to see which priests would be able to perform the temple duties. It was a really sacred calling. They would cast lots. Think of it in our day, they would have raffle tickets. And so every priest would get a raffle ticket. And as they wait there, and then the person would say, all right, I'm going to call out the numbers. And seven, two, four, three. And Zechariah goes, I got it. This is mine. I won. And so, Zechariah, you can perform the temple duties. And I imagine as he wins, he's probably thinking perhaps maybe... I can offer one more prayer. Or I'm going to be really close to the most holy place. Maybe I can offer a prayer. And so as Zechariah, Zechariah is performing his temple duties, an angel shows up. As he's alone in that space, just him and God, God's messenger shows up and says, Zechariah, God has heard your prayer. And I want to encourage someone today. God has heard your prayer as well. God has heard your prayer. He says, you are going to have a son who is actually going to prepare the way for the Messiah. And Zechariah says, uh, praise the Lord. I've been waiting for this day all my life. I knew it was going to come. Amen. When do we start? When do we start? No, no. What Zechariah says is, this is impossible. No way. This will never happen. Not in a million years. This will never happen. And Gabriel says, no, no, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. And Zechariah says, it's not going to happen whatsoever. And it gets to a point where the angel, if you read the story, seems to be a bit bothered by this guy's like lack of faith. And he's just like, really, dude? I mean, I came all the way from heaven to deliver this message. And you're giving me all of this resistance. He says, because you've uh, not believed, uh, you're not going to be able to speak for a while. He gives him a case of angelic laryngitis, okay, angelic laryngitis. And for a number of months, Zechariah cannot speak. And the angel says, you're going to find out that nothing is impossible with God. And so Zechariah walks out of this temple, and people realize that he's seen a vision. He, he can't speak anymore, so he has to write things out. He has to let people know what he's going to say. And they are just absolutely stunned that God has given him this promise. But what I find in this passage is really something powerful, something that reminds us of, of what God invites us to and something about the very character of God. How do you respond when you wait? What does God want to teach us 
as we wait. And when we look at Zechariah and Elizabeth, we find a couple of important spiritual lessons. The first thing I want to point out is that a faithful response to waiting is prayer. A faithful response to waiting is prayer. Look at verse 13. It says, Zechariah, do not be afraid. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. I love this verse. Because Luke gives us insight, the gospel writer gives us insight as to how Zechariah and Elizabeth handled their disappointment, handled their frustration, handled their disgrace. He says, you have been faithful in praying, faithful in staying with God, faithful in waiting for him. They continue to pray and wait even when their hearts said, give up altogether. They held on to God. And when you experience the, the kind of social disgrace, it would be easy to give up on prayer. It would be easy to give up on God. And that's the, that's the path that many of us are very tempted to take when life doesn't unfold the way you want it to. The question is, do you, are you holding on to God? Are you still showing up in prayer? Chances are many of us wander away. Many of us take matters into our own hands. Why? Because we've often seen prayer as transactionalism, not communion. But at the end of the day, for Zechariah and Elizabeth, they saw prayer not as the means to getting something from God. They saw prayer as a means of communion with God. It's so easy to live a transactional life with God, meaning I pray certain things, and God, you are to do certain things, and that's the nature of our relationship. Our relationship is marked by transaction. I remember hearing a guy from our church say he, a friend of his was looking for parking, and, and he never prayed except when he had to look for parking in Queens. And so he, he starts, he's circling forever. I've been there. And he says, God, if you give me a parking spot, I will serve you the rest of my life. Oh, never mind, God, I found one. It's okay. And then he finds it right there. <laughs> Some of you have done that before. I, that so much of our prayers are about transaction. I say these words, and God, you do these things. And if God doesn't make good on God's end of the deal, I'm done with prayer. I'm done with sticking with God. I'm done with it altogether. But what we find in Zechariah is, is that he stays with God, sticks with God. And I want to encourage you today, in your waiting, in your longing. In your frustration, we gather as the people of God. We gather as brothers and sisters to encourage one another to hold on to God. When your experience doesn't seem to be lining up with what Scripture says, when your experience doesn't seem to be lining up with what you believe God has promised you, hold on to God. Stick with God. God is with you. A faithful response to waiting is prayer. But what I find in the scriptures that's even more encouraging, we have an example from Zechariah, but we have a truth in the Bible that I want you to hold on to. And we find it in verse number 20. Advent reminds us of this good news that even though we are not faithful in our waiting, God is faithful in his coming. Even though we are not faithful in our waiting, God is faithful in his coming. One of my favorite verses in all of the Bible is in chapter 1, verse 20. 
The angel Gabriel comes, Zechariah says, this can't happen whatsoever. And then I love what the angel says to Zechariah. He says, you did not believe my words, which will come true. Oh, praise God. You did not believe it, but it's going to come true. Aren't you glad that God's coming is not contingent upon how good you believe? Oh, praise God. Aren't you happy? The angel says, I know you don't believe it. It's still going to happen. This stuff encourages me. Why? Because there's some weeks that I have some good faith. And then some other weeks, I don't have any faith at all. Have you been there before? Certain weeks where you just feel the presence of God. You're driving, you got the Christian music, you just, I mean, God's all over you. And then there are times you can't trace God whatsoever. Now, there's a nuance here because I want you to hold on to this. There were times in the Bible where Jesus would say, as he's healing people, I can't do anything here because there's unbelief. I can't do anything here. And so I want to hold on to that, and I want to hold on to this. The angel says, you don't believe it, but it's still going to happen. Because God's coming is not contingent on how well we wait. When God wants to come, God's going to come. God comes not because we are good. God comes because God is good. God comes not because we are faithful. God comes because God is faithful. God comes not because we are righteous. Amen. God comes because God is righteous. And Advent reminds us that God's love can transcend even our deepest doubt. The good news of Christianity is even when we're not faithful in our waiting, God is faithful in his coming. And not even our greatest doubts can stop him. And so the angel says, God is coming. The Holy Spirit is coming. God is going to make good on his promise to you. And, and when I read this story, I have to hold on in faith, and at the same time, I, 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 if I can confess, some of this stuff is frustrating. And I want to live in the tension of the promise of God and, and, and the not yet of God. Because in this story, God comes through, and yet, in the mystery of faith, we hold on to this tension that for whatever reason, God makes good on God's promises and in other situations, for whatever reason, we cannot understand the pain and suffering of our world. How is it that children at a young age pass away? How is it that people who have been faithful to God experience just as much trauma and just as much loss and just as much pain as anyone else? I cannot understand the incongruities and inconsistencies of, of faith and spirituality, but this is what I can hold on to, that God's love runs deep, deeper than anything in our world, deeper than our deepest sin, deeper than our deepest doubts. God's love runs deep, and God comes to Zechariah and Elizabeth in a powerful, powerful way. 
And then we begin to see if the story, if you were watching a movie, that the screen would turn black after all of this. And you will find the words come up in white lettering nine months later. After all of this nine months later, verse 57, when it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, no, he is to be called John. And they said, there is no one in your relatives who's named John. How are we going to call him John? There's not enough syllables. We need to add more syllables to this name. Who calls their child John? I have no offense to any Johns in the house here, but who calls their child John? Zechariah at this point has not been able to speak for nine months. And so they made signs to the father, verse 62, to find out what he would like to name the child. They just couldn't take a word for it. They said, this is not going to work. And he wrote his name is, it says, he asked them for a writing tablet, a writing tablet, not an iPad, a writing tablet. And to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue set free. And he began to speak, praising God. And all the neighbors were filled with awe. They're confused. Why? Why? His name is John. He is speaking. What does John mean? John means God is gracious. God is gracious. And I want you to hold on to that, friends. God is gracious. When life does not unfold the way you want it to, God is gracious. When you're having a hard time seeing God come through, God is gracious. When it doesn't seem as if you're going to get the blessing in time, remember still, God is gracious. We are reminded that God is gracious not because we wait well, God is gracious because God is gracious. And so Zechariah sees his son. And after seeing his son and being quiet for nine months, he says, I got to sing a song. I can't just praise God in just prose and words. I need to write a song. I need to write a, a, some poetry. He begins to write a song and singing for great joy. And when you think about Zechariah's song, in light of his waiting, in light of decades of wondering, is God going to come through? In light of waiting for nine months for him to speak, it makes sense why Zechariah says, I need to write a song. And not a short song. It's going to be a long song. I'm going to declare the praises of God in song. I'm not just going to talk about it. I'm going to sing about it. And there's something about singing a song that accesses a part of your brain and a part of your heart that just speaking words cannot which is why St. Augustine said the person who sings actually prays twice. 
that you double your prayers when you sing because it's coming from a place of depth. It's coming from a place of longing. It's coming from a place of yearning. It's coming from a place of hope and desperation and praise. And when you know someone's story, you can appreciate their song. I used to be part of a church, a small church, a, a small Latino Pentecostal church where, where people sometimes would just sing, and they kept, they kept singing and singing, and it was off-key, and they kept singing. <laughs> but, but because the church was really small, everyone knew each other's story, and they knew that person is singing because God has just come through in that person's life. And when you know someone's story, you can appreciate their song. Say amen, somebody. I'll, I'll explain it this way. I was on the subway one day, and on the subway, a woman got up, and she began singing, just regular New York City stuff. She began singing. It was a hymn of praise before God. And it wasn't bad singing. It was actually, like, really good singing. Like, get her on Jimmy Fallon or something. She's, she's really good. She's really good. But the way that people were responding in the subway was how New Yorkers respond. Some folks just rolled their eyes. Some folks put their AirPods in. Some folks act like they were reading, but their book was upside down. You know, they weren't reading. They were just watching it. But she kept singing this hymn of praise before God. And after one of the verses that she sang, she began to tell her story. Her story about God delivering her son from drug addiction. The story of God offering her hope when she was depressed. The story of God coming through and providing when everyone said, God has forgotten about you. And when she sang again, people leaned in a little bit more. When she sang again, the AirPods came off a little bit. When she sang again, the book came down. Why? Because when you know someone's story, you can appreciate their song. And all of us in this room, if we were honest with each other in our own stories, we would tell the story of God's forgiveness over our lives. We would tell the story of God's provision over our lives. We would tell the story of God's salvation over our lives, which is why as a community, let us learn each other's stories so that when we sing out loud and when someone loses their composure for a little bit, you don't go, they're so emotional. What's going on? They're messing up my song. No, what you'll say is praise the Lord because God has delivered and God has come through. And God has provided, and God is faithful, and God is gracious. Can we praise God together right now? God is faithful and merciful and compassionate. And if God has forgiven you, you'll say amen. And if God has been good to you, you'll say praise the Lord. And if God has been gracious, you'll say hallelujah. Why? Because when you know someone's story, you appreciate their song. And so today we sing before the Lord. Today we praise his holy name. Because God is gracious. And God is good. And God is kind. And God is Savior. And as we wait on the Lord, praise the Lord, aren't you happy that God's coming is not contingent upon how good you wait? Whether you wait poorly or wait well, God says, I'm coming anyway.
Even though you didn't believe it, he says, it's still true. Even though you can't imagine it, I'm still coming. Even though you cannot perceive it, I'm still going to deliver you. God is gracious. Gracious to you. Gracious to your neighbor. Gracious to all of you watching online. And so what do we say to God's praise? Well, to God's goodness, we sing. We, we contemplate. We meditate. We pray. We behold the beauty of this God who comes. That's what we do in communion. That's what we do when we come to the Lord's table, as we're going to do in just a moment. Let me invite the worship team to come forward. God has come in the person of Jesus Christ. And we get an opportunity to meditate in the bread and in the cup on how faithful God has been to us. On the ways that God intervenes. On the ways that God provides. And so what is our response? Our response is worship. What do we do in waiting? We worship. We sing. We pray. We praise. We wait on the Lord. And that's why we come to this table today. Lord Jesus, thank you for your goodness, for your grace. Thank you, Lord, for the ways that you come to us. How faithful you are in this Advent season and in every season. And Lord, even as we wait, would you do a new thing in us? Would you produce in us what you long to produce in us? We thank you for your presence, Lord Jesus. Amen. Let's all stand together as we prepare to receive communion. And if you didn't receive any of the elements, feel free to raise your hand. One of our ushers will be happy to pass you any elements here. I want to give you a moment for your own confession and repentance before God. For many of us, when life doesn't unfold the way we want, we take matters into our own hands. We start manipulating, we start acting out of anxiety. Which is why I, I love these words by Eugene Peterson, who said that waiting in prayer is a disciplined refusal to act before God acts. A disciplined refusal. And so we wait on the Lord. Let me invite you to close your eyes. Where, how have you been waiting? Maybe some of you have come to church today. Maybe you're watching online. You need to offer your own confession and repentance. Maybe your heart has wandered away from God. And feel free. We, ought, we repent and confess our sins, not to receive the kindness of God, but because God has already been kind to us. So take about 30, 40 seconds or so to offer your own confession before God. Amen. Let's pray this prayer of confession on the screen together.
Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we have sinned against you and our neighbor through our own fault, in thought, in word, and deed, in what we have done and what we have left undone. For the sake of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, forgive us all our offenses and grant that we may serve you in newness of life to the glory of your name. Amen. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it, saying, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. As the people of God rescued through the broken body of Jesus Christ, let's all receive together. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. As the people of God, forgiven freely by the poured out blood of Jesus Christ, let's all receive together. Lord, we thank you for your faithful coming in the person of Jesus Christ, the one who forgives our sins, the one who gives us eternal life, the one who pours out mercy and peace and joy on us. Thank you, Lord, for the bread and for the cup. And now, Lord, we sing words of praise. Lord, we join with our ancestors of faith in singing words of praise to you. We sing with a great cloud of witnesses. We sing with one another, testifying of your goodness to us. We sing to you now, Lord Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Let's all sing together.
sing through that chorus again let that be the prayer of our hearts Lord when I believe well and when I don't believe even so come Lord Jesus come for some of you have been waiting for a long time thinking about giving up on God but can that be your heart today even so come Lord Jesus come let's just sing that chorus out a few more times before we close even so come even so Lord Jesus, come, even so come, Lord Jesus, come, even so come, Lord Jesus, come. Can you lift your hands, even so come? Even so come, Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus come when we pray that prayer we are reminded that there's certain things that maybe we can tweak and fix in our lives but there's certain things that only God can do it and so with hearts of longing and with worship and yearning even so come some of you came into church today in family situations that just seem so beyond repair. 
But what we sing is even so come. Lord Jesus, come. Some of you have been struggling with challenges, mental health challenges, physical ailments, and you realize unless something happens, even so come. Lord Jesus, come. Some of you have experienced just existential dread, spiritual lostness, a sense of just a a dark night of the soul. And you've tried all the best tips and tools and you still can't find your way into wholeness and healing. Even so, come. Lord Jesus, come. I want to invite our prayer team to come to my right. And when we pray for another, what we're doing, whether we sing the words or not, we're saying, even so come. Lord Jesus, come. When we lay hands on one another and pray and say, in the name of Jesus, we're saying, even so come. Lord Jesus, come. When we sing and lift our voices before God, even so come. Lord Jesus, come. For whatever need that you have, our prayer team would love to pray for you. Maybe find yourself, the holidays for many people is a time of of deep sadness and grief. And maybe you just need someone to pray with you and remind you of God's presence in your life. Even so, come. Lord Jesus, come. I imagine some of you watching online, maybe you're in this room, you've never said yes to Jesus Christ. You've never invited him to be Lord and Savior. You've never said, Lord, forgive me of my sins. I want to follow you. I want to obey your teachings. I want to receive your life. But maybe as I was preaching, maybe this past Wednesday, God put something in your heart and you're realizing, I think I want to give my life to Jesus. I'm tired of doing things my way. I want to do things God's way. And maybe that's something you're watching online, you're in this room, and you're just hearing me confirm what God has put in your heart. And if that's you, you can come up for prayer. Our prayer team would love to help you take the next step in your spiritual life. You can also text the phrase, yes to Jesus, to that number on the screen, 718-424-0122. One of our pastors would love to follow up with you and help you take your next steps. Maybe some of you have recently said yes to Jesus, but you're ready to get baptized. You're ready to take your faith to the public, and you're saying, I'm ready to offer my entire allegiance to Jesus in baptism. You can text yes to Jesus and we would love to follow up with you to help you take that next step. As we close, there will be a sermon discussion time for those of you watching online. Feel free to click on that link and have a 30-minute conversation with other New Lifers and one of our pastors. We'd love to connect with you there. And as a reminder, at the end of our service here, we'll have the Christmas missions market that's going to all proceeds are going to go to serving vulnerable children and women who, get, who are served through our CDC. And so feel free to stop by there, have a cup of coffee, tea, and just meet some new folks if you have not been down there before. You can go through there or through the back exit. But as we close, let me invite you to open your hands in a posture of receiving. And may the prayer of our heart be, Even so, come. Lord Jesus, come. With your hands and your hearts in a posture of receiving, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters of the living God, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face to shine upon you 
and fill you with peace. And may you walk out of this building and out of this online gathering in the power of the Holy Spirit, waiting on God. And even when your waiting gets inconsistent, may you be encouraged of the words from the angel Gabriel that even when our faith is not strong, God is faithful in God's coming. And may we rest in the love of God, the power and the mercy of God. And may that love and power and mercy sustain you this week. I bless you all in the strong, in the beautiful, in the faithful name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And everyone said, amen. amen. Grace and peace to you all.